Welcome to Coach House Talks. It's great to be with you. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as you will have just heard, um, it's a joyous time for me at the moment for Sita and I getting engaged and uh, it and that and many other things and starting a new job and a lot of interesting new things coming into my life at the moment. And I just it just reminded me actually as we were singing before that um, all of these things that we receive that are good and many, many things that we receive from God, often we, we kind of take them for granted. But actually, I'm reminded of the words of Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, what have you received which was not given to you as a gift? And actually, when we reflect on our lives, uh, it's often easy to give ourselves credit for the things that we do. Um, but actually, ultimately, we know that it's through God's grace that we've truly come to find things that are actually valuable in life. Um, so that's just something I thought I'd start us off with. Um, as Angie mentioned, uh, it's my, my subject today is dealing with pride. And as we know, we've been going through the series in Ecclesiastes, and we've been um, using it as a point of reference for looking at different subjects. Um, and pride is, is actually quite difficult to describe, and it's even more difficult to deal with it. Um, but there's good news. Uh, Jesus helps us to reject pride and find satisfaction in him. So let's just do a, a brief thought experiment on pride. Um, does it seem that bad? That's the first thing I'd ask you. Um, and Andy mentioned that uh, briefly before about uh, having pride in the kids as they were going out um, and looking at the, the contribution that they make to our congregation and to our own lives as well. And actually, we can think like that about a lot of different things. Uh, for example, if you remember maybe a long time ago coming home from school and your parents saying, oh, I'm really proud of that work that you've done. Or if you're a City fan last season saying, oh, I'm really proud that Man City won, won the league. Or you might automatically be against that anyway. I was really proud of Cita the other week for getting up early and running for 30 minutes in the rain. I was very proud of that. Um, so a lot of, when, sometimes when we talk about pride, um, it's quite innocent and even good. And I think the reason that is, is because sometimes when we talk about pride, what we actually mean is we're giving an appropriate amount of glory or praise towards something. So it can be good when we rightly want to give glory to good things. Um, and when we feel proud, sometimes it means we just take delight in an accomplishment or a person. And this can even be true in reference to ourselves. I remember feeling really proud the other year when I spent about six hours uh, drawing this Star Wars themed piece of artwork. Usually it turns out absolutely terrible. And Oh, thanks, Jamie, for the graphic. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. That's really helpful. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was going to put a picture of my own work up there, but I was thinking, well, that probably is straying into negative pride there. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed producing it. I spent a long time uh, working on it in the holidays, and just for once, it turned out exactly the way I wanted it to. And I wanted to show everybody in the house, everybody that was willing to look. I was like, oh, I've produced this. This is really good. Um, and I was just happy because it fit it. It was an appropriate amount of... Uh, I think I gave an appropriate amount of... Uh, praised myself on that occasion, although as we will see, that can stray into a bad area as well. So the reason I'm clarifying this is because I don't want you to feel beaten down for the wrong kind of reason, but I also do want you to be motivated to get rid of what I'd call dangerous pride, which a lot of it does fall into. The Bible speaks against this type of pride where we take an unrealistically high view of ourselves in relation to God and other people. It's not an absolutely airtight description because the Bible uses a lot of different words for it, but I think that's the easiest description for us to work on. 
just like the English language, um, the Bible has many different ways of talking about pride, but I think this is at the core of it. So just to say that again, it's an unrealistically high view of ourselves in relation to God and other people. However, um, there's also the reverse of this, um, where we take an unrealistically low view of ourselves in relation to God and others. Um, it's the kind of pride that says, I'm too much of a failure and I can't be helped, or God can't help change me, I know, ev I know everyone else is better than me. It's pride again, because actually, God has given us dignity as human beings. He's made us his children if we're Christians. And actually there's a lot to celebrate there and a lot to, we, don't, we shouldn't look down on ourselves too much because then we're saying to God, actually, um, you're not good enough to change me. You're not strong enough to change me. And whereas the other kind of pride, which we often encounter or more commonly hear about is, I can rely on myself. I don't need people or God to get by. So there are these two different sides of it. And the problem is with both of these things is both are unrealistic, both are not true, and both need to be fixed. Another feature is that pride is usually pinned on to different things. Naturally try and, uh, we naturally try and live our own way. And the funny thing is, none of us have to work that hard to do that. Uh, we do it naturally, and we value our own opinions and the things that we think give us value. And it's often pinned on to things in the world around us, achievements, accomplishments, and qualities that we have. Um, and I'll tell you one way that I used to do this to illustrate the point. Um, I always remember during times when I was feeling a little bit more insecure uh, and I was having a new conversation with someone, probably someone in Manchester when I just moved, and I'd always try and feed into the conversation, oh yeah, I graduated from St. Andrews. And I'd always be looking for that response to someone to say, oh wow, that's a really good university, that's great. And I'm, I'd ask them the question back. It's like, oh, where did, you go? where did you go? And I wasn't really interested in what they were saying. I was just wanting to hear, oh, wh where did you study? Where did you go? I was like, oh, yeah, St. Andrews, yeah, it was, it was good. And, and it's just this attitude of where you're trying to feed um, a sense of accomplishment back into yourself, a sense of, um, a sense of pride that's unrealistic. And the reason why that, that was unre unrealistic is if I look back on my time there, I remember that actually the reason I was even able to graduate is because of God's grace. I actually think about it that my mental health back in my third and fourth year was so bad, it's look I even graduated at all. But then the irony is, at a certain time later, I start to think of myself as the hero in my own story. Actually, it was only by God's grace that I was able to do that at all. But often we get this warped perspective where we think, you know what, I'm actually really good. I, I accomplished that by myself, it was, it was all me. And it just lets us lose sense of the actual reality that God's put us in. And like awesome, pride has a function. Uh, we foster it for a reason. And looking at my example that I just used then, there's a function to get praise from other people to increase my reputation. Uh, it could be acceptance into a specific group if I felt kind of threatened. Or it could be just increasing my sense of self-worth. If I felt a bit low, wanted a bit of a pick-me-up, it's easy to use our achievements uh, in that particular way. The solution is in God, and there's good news. Whatever sin can do for us, God can do for us better. And we'll see how that happens in a bit. But first I want to look at Ecclesiastes 2, because Solomon debunks the myth that possessions and achievements can give us this lasting sense of achievement. So let's briefly read Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4 to 9. We've read it, I know we've read this one before, but I'm just going to go over it quickly, because it does relate to our, our message today. It says... 
<clears throat> Solomon says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and promise, prov provinces. I acquired male and female singers in a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Solomon was a bit like the Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk of the ancient world. He had great wealth and great accomplishment, and boy, is he aware of them. If you just look at the way that he, re if the way he talks about it, I built, I planted, I made, I bought, I owned, I amassed, I acquired, I became greater by far than anyone else before me. He has every reason to be a proud man. He thinks himself better than everybody else. But what's his attitude to his wealth? Does he acknowledge and accept it as a gift from God that he's been blessed with, or does he think he's a self-made man? As you might have guessed, a few verses later, he describes all these achievements as meaningless. And why is that? Well, he gives us the first of, the, this forms the first of three reasons that he tells us why human pride does not make sense. The first reason he gives us is death. As he says a little later in chapter two, like the fool, the wise also must die. However highly we think of ourselves and our achievements, however powerful, however pitiful, however high, However low, we all die. And he knows that we can't take this earthly, the things that create this earthly pride with us. After we die, there's this point of separation from it. Secondly, he also makes a point in the book of uncertainty. We might like to think that we're masters of our own destiny and we're in control, that we're these self-made people who can just get by. But the reality is that life is unpredictable. We can't control a lot of what goes on around us and it blows apart this idea that we're these little gods. And it, for example, Solomon says, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all. From our perspective, we can't control everything in life that's going on around us. And that leads me on to the third point is God's sovereignty. God is sovereign and the one who created the world. As Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Unlike us, God is the only one who has a completely clear view of the world and humanity. He is the one who's got complete control over the universe. So to sum it up for Solomon, if we're looking at the perspective of Ecclesiastes, pride is simply something that does not make logical sense. It doesn't make sense because we die and we're separated from our achievements that give us pride. It doesn't make sense because we don't really have control over our lives. It's quite uncertain. And thirdly, God is the one who's actually sovereign. It doesn't make sense for us to think that we are fully in control of the world around us. And also, <clears throat> knowledge alone does not save us from pride. And he's right, it doesn't make sense. But whatever we think, whatever we think actually, pride tends to bubble out of us all the time. Um, it's very easy for us to form an opinion of ourselves that we are greater or we know better. And it just comes to us automatically. So we actually need a mechanism to be able to deal with this. So <clears throat> how does pride actually damage us? What's the problem? First of all, um, first, the first way it damages us in general is that it's, it damages us personally. <clears throat> the more proud we become, 
the more stuck in our ways we get and the more unwilling we are to change. I've just mentioned before that I've started a new job recently. And one thing I've learned is that it's hard to be a learner. And I think it's quite difficult because for me, I realized that I really don't like learning, but I love being the person who knows stuff. If we're someone who's, if we're in a position of learning, um, it automatically requires some humility. And that applies to any area of life. And you can see quite quickly, just on a practical level, that if you're really proud and you think that you know it all, it's actually very, very difficult to start improving because you can't accept criticism and you can't change. It also creates a fear of failure um, because we want to see ourselves in the best light possible. Whereas being a learner requires us to actually humble ourselves. Secondly, pride damages our relationships with other people. <clears throat> and we can see that it easily filters into our relationships. The more highly we think of ourselves and our opinions, the more conflict we create wherever we go, because we're not, willing to, we're not willing to give any ground, and the people around us will feel that. And thirdly, and quite critically, it damages our relationship with God. Pride makes us think that we don't need God or that God can't help us if it's on the negative side of pride. Either we think we don't need God or that God can't solve our problems. We think we know best, we don't approach him, and we seek our own solutions and it puts us in direct opposition to God. So in summary, it affects us all, and we fight it all the time. And it's the, reasons that many, it's the reason that many Christians have thought over generations that pride is kind of the ultimate sin behind all different sins. For example, St. Augustine quite famously remarks, there can, there can never have been, and never be, and never shall be any sin that is without pride. It's a core kind of issue that we face as human beings. So it's time for us to look at the difference that Jesus makes. And this is critical for us as Christians. We're just going to look at three well-known, simple, core scriptures that remove every cause for pride. They're very well-known, they're very straightforward, and they're very profound. So the first is Romans 10, verse 9. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our faith starts with a simple confession. Jesus is Lord, not me. That's a fundamental truth of the gospel. The next verse we look at is John 3.16. We can see what motivated God to send Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God was motivated by love to send Jesus. And through Jesus, we get something else, eternal life. We haven't earned this. We haven't achieved this. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Let's look at Romans 5, verse 6 to 8, which provide us with some more detail. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only have we not earned the right to be saved, but we've actually earned the exact opposite. And that's true for everyone. God has reached out to all of us as sinners who were far from him, out of love, and died the death that we deserved. That is the core of the good news, and it lays the groundwork against pride. However sinful, evil, lost, proud, self-pitying, or otherwise, God saves us from hell and begins this process of transformation in us on earth. 
And what's beautiful about that also is that Jesus creates a level playing field for all people. In Galatians 3.28 we read, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We see that because all of us have the same need of a saviour, we're all brought down to exactly the same even level. We see traditional ways people got one up on each other disappear. For example, Jews thought Jews were superior to Greeks, but not anymore. Free people thought they were superior to slaves, but not anymore. Men thought they were superior to women, but not anymore. And why is this? Because all people, however bad or good they think they are, they all have the same starting point. We all need Jesus as our savior. And that is the point where we start dealing with pride, is coming to Christ. We recognize we are no longer Lord, but it's Jesus instead. God gives us a significance as well <clears throat> with the gift of a new identity that begins now and it lasts forever. We are born again as children of God who are blessed. Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 4 exclaims, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God has gifted us a brand new identity, and that identity is something that we can rejoice in. And we can take pride in it, not because we've accomplished it, but pride in what God has done for us. So what must we do? Part of the way we confront pride is by seeing all that God has done for us. Some of us for the first time, others for the millionth time. However, what actions must we take if we're trying to reject pride? The solution is humility. I defined pride earlier as having an unrealistically high or low opinion of ourselves in relation to God or others. Humility is having a realistic opinion of ourselves in relation to God and others. And James 4 gives us this import, 4.10 gives us this important command. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility should be the obvious response when we learn who God is and what he has done for us, but it doesn't come automatically even then. We want our own way. We want people to like us. We want our achievements to shine out. We want to feel significant. And the normal human response is to fight for it and fight our corner at every opportunity. Likewise, this means we start dealing with pride when we confess that God is in charge, not us. And secondly, we confess that we needed Jesus, we confess that we needed Jesus to die for our sins to save us, just like everybody else. That is humbling ourselves, and it takes a weight off our shoulders, you know. We put ourselves in the right place and we feel at peace. We're not meant to be little gods in the world, living like we're in control of everything and everyone should bow down to our every whim and our every, our every desire. Actually, that's not what we're built for. We're built to be children of God and we're meant to recognize who God is. And that means that we don't have to uphold this fake view of ourselves. And it's a drain on us. I think uh, another small anecdote. I remember back when I was, uh, back when I was well, doing language teacher training and uh, in the long term, or actually, well, probably the midterm, it was something I realized I absolutely hated doing. I think the one of the reasons why I absolutely hated teaching was that I'd come home after every day and my face would be really sore. And the reason that my face would be really sore is because I'd be smiling so much all the time because I was just trying to put on I, had, I felt like I had to be liked. I had to have this persona of, um, of 
of putting on a an act, putting on a front and acting and being appreciable to the people around me. Um, and I just, when I got home, my face suddenly dropped. I suddenly had a sense of relief. And I suddenly realised, oh, you know, I can relax and I can be myself now. I think it's a bit like that when we let go of pride in our lives. We let go of this front, this facade that we're in control and we're powerful and we're, and we're good. And actually, we just say, you know what, God, you're in control. You're taking care of me. You love me. I don't have to act. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be fake anymore. Just as the second half of James 4.10 says, God will also lift us up as we humble ourselves. We trust God to look after us instead of fighting for it. He will bring us peace and satisfaction as we follow him. And our job is to keep humbling ourselves and following him. And this also follows the pattern that Jesus himself followed. As Philippians 2.6 says, or 2.6-8, who, being in the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage, even though he could have done. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We see how Jesus' submission to God led him all the way to the cross. Pride never got in his way. And that's actually our, that should be our response as well. Humbling ourselves, recognizing that Jesus is the Lord and following him. Jesus didn't have to live this way. He deserved all the glory. But he chose to serve all of us, even going to a death on the cross. If he were here, he would have happily served up drinks at the back. He would have happily done the gardening outside. He would have helped out in the creche or in the Sunday school. You know, he, he wouldn't have considered jobs beneath him, even though he could have done. When I look and reflect on this year, I see so many good things that have happened. And as I've said before, I see that God has been extremely gracious to me. And you know what? I haven't earned any of it. In fact, as we were looking at in our passages before, if I even think of my life a couple of years ago and how, how bad my faith was with God, how, how much I was veering off track, I've actually earned the opposite of grace and, and goodness. But God, in his grace, has, sh has actually met with me over this period of time and changed me. And I think it's the same for all of us. It's not something that we earn. God, by his grace, has reached out to each one of us to help us because we need him to be saved. And he doesn't have to bless us, but he chooses to do it. And as I said at the beginning, we can think like Paul, he challenged the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, where he says this, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? It's just this dynamic where we should be recognizing in thankfulness all the time that God has been gracious to us, that he has saved us. And that's a starting point for us all, is humbling ourselves and coming to God. Doesn't it just describe us sometimes where we become boastful, where we become, where our sense of reality becomes a bit warped, where we think we're the center of the story. So we should be starting out with thankfulness because we've all received mercy and grace from God. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.